Kent Lastman. I'm the president at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Thank you much for joining the program today. We're going to talk about the uh, Green New Deal in just a second. But first of all, uh, tell me about your organization, um, what it is, kind of what your guys' mission is. You're an author of a study that we're going to talk about. So just give yourself a little bit of plug and set the table. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, thanks for having me on with your listeners. I'm, I'm at an organization in Washington, D.C. called the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Uh, sometimes referred to as CEI, and it's a think tank where we focus primarily on regulatory issues, and our objective is to advance free market ideas and really work in the weeds of the policymaking process to uh, engage where where the laws are being made, where the regulations are being made, and uh, drive home those real uh, core principles into the agencies so that when those three-letter alphabet soup agencies are making all the rules we have to live by, that at least they've heard from people with some common sense ideas. We've been around for about 35 years, and uh, we, we cover all manner of economic regulatory issues. The study that I ran across uh, that got picked up by a number of news outlets. I uh, just did a Google search before we came on the, uh, did our interview here, and I've seen you guys have been picked up, everybody from the Washington Post to the Huffington Post to pretty much any mainstream publication, plus a lot of the uh, alternative blogs and secondary sources of news have picked up on this study. This study seems to be pretty Pretty accepted by all walks of life, it seems like, out there. Are you finding that, or are you finding that there's some opposition on this? You know, surprising to me, uh, in light of the nature of our political discourse, uh, we have not had any, to my knowledge, we have not had any pushback on the analysis that we did. Uh, there are people who disagree with our conclusions, you know, with we, we come to some pretty clear conclusions about what it would mean for the economy, for a typical household. We should jump um, in real quick. and, and, and pro- I took for granted that our audience already knows what's going on here. So uh, very briefly, before we get into the conclusions of it, we should probably set the table of what this study is. And uh, on a very brief um, overview, you guys did a study on what the Green New Deal was going to cost the average household is that correct? That, that's right. And in fact, we uh, we got I got together with a, a partner on this, a man named Daniel Turner, who runs an organization focused on energy issues called Power of the Future. And we took a very conservative at, at every turn, every estimate, every assumption that had to be made. We took a conservative uh, assumption, which is to say, we tried to make it. Uh, stand up the test of criticism so that if anybody said, oh, you're just blowing this out of proportion, we could point out that, no, in fact, we were looking at the low-end costs. And for the Green New Deal, which is a sweeping set of proposals, radical proposals to really transform the way we live in America, we only analyzed the elements that we were confident we could get good data on. So there are proposals for uh, 
just wages and proposals for fair and equitable housing across the country, we didn't look at those things. We didn't look at universal health care, which would have swamped the cost assessments of, of the elements that we did study. And by looking at uh, a handful of four or five different provisions of the Green New Deal, we were able to come up with some low-end estimates for what it would do and what it would mean for a typical family or household in America. And I'm looking at the different numbers that you guys have concluded, and 70000 per household is kind of the average, it looks like. Explain that a little bit, how it's going to cost the average household $70,000 in five years. No, five sure. states, five states. Sure. What, what we did is we, uh, we took a look at a handful of states, five different states, in order to adjust for or take into account, um, different states have different uh, blends and cost structures for electricity. Uh, some are, have more hydroelectric power, some have nuclear power. Uh, many rely on gas or, or coal-fired plants. Uh, different populations, different size of the states. And by looking at a variety types of states, we were able to get a handle on differences for implementation, and we looked at the following elements. We got uh, a look at what it would take to move everyone to electric vehicles, zero carbon uh, automobiles. We looked at upgrading your home to be energy efficient, but uh, we went beyond that because the Green New Deal calls for every structure in America. So we also looked at implementation of the highest level of efficiency standards for every commercial and industrial structure in America. These building retrofits to make sure that uh, we're, we're not leaking energy into the environment. Uh, and as I said, electricity, which heats our homes, cools our homes, uh, for a small fraction of our automobiles, uh, powers them. And then finally, we looked at costs associated with shipping or what's commonly called the logistics industry. So this is your uh, trucking and cargo planes. Um, or more practically, everything that you order from Amazon gets to your house somehow. <laughs> and to transform that industry that moves everything from consumer goods to um, clothing to uh, uh, home building supplies to our food supply. Uh, moving that material around the country from where it's produced to where it's needed, that logistics or shipping industry, we were able to study that as well. And as you indicated, four of these five states uh, clustered very closely together. Uh, the first year of implementation of the Green New Deal on these elements would cost more than uh, $70,000 per household, between 70, almost 72000 and more than 73000 And the fifth state, due to its remote nature and high costs for energy, uh, Alaska 
that first year of implementation would be more than $100,000 per household. It's, it's really stunning when you put it in perspective of these numbers are larger than the median household income. So if you look at uh, you know the, the middle of the pack, the people, every single dollar they earn for more than a year, about a year and a third, would have to go to implementation of the Green New Deal. Part of the Green New Deal, from my understanding, is a replacement or an elimination of fossil fuels. Is that correct? That's right. Um, what the, uh, can, can you comment on that a little bit? Because I've said on my program that that's, that's where I'm at in my lifetime. That just seems like a literal definition of the word crazy. Because I just, I can't visualize how, you know, from PVC pipes to et cetera, how that would happen in a short period of time like this. Uh, it is, uh, you can use the word crazy. I well, will not dispute that. I mean, actually, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be literal from Webster's definition. Sure. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to be bombastic or sensational. I mean, when you're looking at numbers that are... Um, you know, you're using the word radical, and I believe that's in its truest definition. I mean, when you're talking about changes that are more than the person's average income, that's radical. That, In its term, it's radical. But we're so sensitized to that word, and so, do you know what I mean by that? It's like when the word actually is being used in its real form, it's like nobody's getting standing up and listening to it. I'll give you another word uh, that is often, you know, we use it in common uh, language, but the roots of it here really apply. These ideas, the roots of these ideas to go to a carbon-free economy, a carbon-free society, uh, they're pre-industrial. So think of uh, the the, the 1800s. You know, think of Civil War-era technologies for our households and businesses and buildings and uh, transportation. These ideas are fantastic, which is to say they're rooted in fantasy. There are no technological substitutes for many of the uh, technologies and applications that uh, the advocates of the Green New Deal would like to do away with. So they say, well, well, we'll go with renewable energy. There is no renewable energy available to power a nation of 320 million people, right? You, you cannot make enough windmills. Uh, by the way, making windmills requires a great deal of cement, which is a tremendous, uh, it, it throws off a tremendous amount of carbon naturally, the process of making cement. And it requires a great deal of steel to put up a windmill. <laughs> steel is produced, obviously, in... Uh, in factories that burn uh, iron ore or uh, melt iron ore with coal. The, these ideas are not rooted in reality. They're not they're not given to us by people that understand how things are made, how things are moved, how things are uh, food is grown and distributed, and it's really a fantasy land. Um, and the reason they can get away with this is because they uh, are convinced that they can sell the idea that there's a crisis that 
must be addressed immediately, which in fact is not the case. Um, but there, there's nothing about these ideas that are sensible. I mean, it's it seems like the argument of emotion over fact. It's uh, it's emotion over fact because there's a, a bit of a fact-free environment, which is why we tried to come in and, and take at least parts of it seriously and say, if this is really what you mean, that, um, you know, you're going to transform the entire fleet of automobiles and trucks in a nation, well, what, what would that cost? Um, that's, uh, it's a pretty big undertaking, but it's not something that can't be studied. So we try to take it seriously to give people real, real facts that they can get their arms around. In your study that takes a look at the Green New Deal and how it's going to cost uh, the average household more than $70,000 in the first year, according to the five states that they looked at, decent states, Alaska, Florida, New Hampshire, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, New Mexico is in there. Uh, Alaska is an oil and gas state uh, with some logistic, some logistical challenges, I would say, um, without air, airline or ships getting there. Um, uh, that's right. We'd, we'd be going back to sled dogs only. Oh, totally. I mean, to go from Washington up to to Alaska, that's like a couple day, days drive, a lot of people tell me. I've never done it, but I know people say it's, it's a lot more than you think, a lot further. Talk to me a little bit about I guess the 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 revamping or the, the the remodeling of America, because like I mentioned earlier, you know the PVC pipes, you know just that alone seems like a couple of generations. But when when you start talking about some of the transmitters um, in Minnesota, I remember there was a bridge collapse within the last ten years, and that kind of shone some light on you know the the um, infrastructure in in the United States and how a number of these bridges that needed to be fixed uh, that were coming up on their 20, 30 year shelf life or whatever the, the engineering shelf life is for a bridge. I read an article about transmis- tra- transmission, uh, transmitters, that the, the transmitters across the, the United States are uh, already like 70% of them are, you know, handling a lot of energy coming through there. And now, you got to look at replacing those and that sort of... Did your study get into that? I know you mentioned the overview of how much that might cost, but talk to me a little bit about the remodeling of America that would be needed here. Well, the um, we utilize for the electric grid, for updates to the electric grid and distribution of, of power. Uh, to basically to our homes and our businesses. Uh, we utilize some very good work done by an economist at the American Enterprise Institute named Ben Zyker. And uh, what he did is he looked at upgrades that would be necessary to the transmission grid itself over and above regular capital investment. Uh, which which are ongoing. You know, it's a, billions of dollars go into the electric grid every year, and this would be over and above because um, 
a Green New Deal energy system would necessarily make our electricity more expensive because the inputs cost more to go into the system, but also less reliable. And that is because as a feat of engineering, it is tremendously difficult to store electricity. Uh, and electricity is just another form of energy. And the, the best way we know of for storing energy, Mother Nature has discovered. And that's in the form of highly compressed uh, atoms. You know, so carbon, carbon-based fuels are uh, formerly organic material that has been compressed over time. And uh, when you move to batteries as the backup for intermittent power supply like wind or solar, the sun doesn't always shine and the wind is not always blowing, um, batteries are not a technology that we have at uh, able to deploy at scale. Um, so that, and that's what I mean by fantasy. They're, they're relying on technologies that haven't been invent, invented and people have no idea how to do it. And um, it, it would really, as I said, reduce the amount of energy that our economy uses, make that energy less reliable and more expensive. I've brought that up on my program in the past here that it seems to me like the, kind of the untold story in this Green New Deal is how they're rolling the dice, that they're going to defy the law of physics and create this new technology, much like um, Moore's Law did, Moore's, Moore's Theory, the guy from uh, Intel, mm -hmm. how the speed of the processor and the size of the processor, double the speed, uh, half the size of the processor every 18 months, it's it's almost like they're expecting something like that to happen, and um, that's what you, I'm kind of hearing a little bit that they're the you know the people that that are behind this Green New Deal is there's a lot of you know put everything on red and let's spin the dice and see what or roll the dice and see what happens. Yeah, there is a uh, uh, tremendous amount of uh, confidence, pride that goes into that. You know, Gordon Moore, uh, as, you, as you rightly point out, um, the difference here is Gordon Moore observed a phenomena. He was an engineer, and he, he noticed that as memory and processing power uh, was improving, that it followed a certain curve. You could graph it out and say, well, in the last 18 months, uh, processing power has doubled, and the 18 months before that, it doubled again. And he was observing something that was happening. He wasn't forcing it to happen. He wasn't demanding uh, innovation shall do the following, which is the sort of hubris that we're seeing from these uh, Green New Deal advocates. And they're, they're saying, well, people will just have to get along um, you know, all of the cargo will move by, not by diesel, certainly not by diesel uh, trip uh, ships or uh, trucks, but it'll just have to move with electric trucks. Well, we don't have electric trucks on the road today. 
the closest thing we have to it uh, is a is a concept model from Tesla that is not it's not commercially available. But none of the other manufacturers of um, trucking equipment are anywhere near that. So they want to take the rolling stock, the capital investment of every truck and trailer that's on the road today, and set it aside, put it out to pasture, because there's no market for it. You can't resell it if those things become illegal. <laughs> and make everyone buy brand new uh, unproven technologies that haven't been invented, by the way. It's really remarkable. It really is. It, it just seems like such a force of of a gamble and ideology now, and it's just it's you know i i see why they call it the new deal i mean it's like they're really gonna make sure this goes through now there's a um you know the common criticism is uh well you, you know you're just you just don't care about the environment you don't care about uh our planet and really nothing can be further from the truth and uh, what, what I like to point out is um, I am here trying to point out the trade-offs for the people involved. The people are part of that ecosystem for our planet, and those people are the ones who invent uh, and develop the technologies that make our planet safer and cleaner and our air better, etc. You know, America leads the way on clean technologies. Uh, today, in the world, if Brussels, home of the EU, were an American city, the air in Brussels would be the dirtiest air in America. So, uh, no one in America should, uh, you know, avert their eyes or, or look away when they're challenged as not caring about the environment. We do more here than anywhere on the planet, and we continue to lead. That's not something that is stopping. We continue to lead because the private sector uh, sees that there's an advantage in conserving, and so they uh, are constantly trying to improve their processes without being told by uh, central managers in Washington. Kent Lastman, the president and CEO of the Competitive Enterprise Institute with us. They just did a study that talks about the Green New Deal would cost households in the five states they analyzed more than $70,000 on an average in the first year of implementation alone. Uh, I want to go two directions. One, I wanted to talk to you about Germany. And second, I wanted to circle back to today's environmentalist. Um, I, I go, let's go with Germany first. Did you, have you followed Germany at all? Because from my recollection, they, they've tried to do this, where they've tried to go completely renewable. They're the poster child from, from people I talk to that they, you know, that, that's the example they give me. Well, then about a month and a half ago, I read that they had to fire up the coal plants again. And this is after four years of basically quadrupling people's energy bills. Am, am I off base? Have you followed the Germany story over there what's going on uh i have not followed it closely however the uh outline that you just gave is is right okay that's that's what uh, i thought it, it, okay 
the, the Germans have, within the EU, the Germans have led um, very dangerous policies on two fronts. One of them is on energy, and it's been a real uh, shock, a negative shock to their economy as p people are having trouble adapting to those sorts of increases when when there is a demand for renewable inputs, uh, which is to say their power plants have to have, a, like California, have to have a certain percentage of uh, power come from renewable fuels as opposed to um, uh, the more traditional fuels uh, like coal or gas. And people just have not been able to adapt to the price increases. And uh, it's really been a, a weight on their economy. The other, the other area, they've, they've done a similar thing. It's been a little bit longer time frame, uh, about 15 years. They've also led the way in a very damaging uh, sort of uh, path on uh, food and GMOs, um, making it very difficult to grow food that can then be shipped anywhere because they've increased, the, for no good reason, uh, unrelated to science or safety or health, they have uh, taken to the whims of environmental activists, uh, environmental activists who historically have had very close ties with kind of zero population growth type uh, ideas and entities. And through the restriction on the foods that are grown and used in the manufacture of, of uh, commercial food in Germany, uh, GMOs have really been another target of the enviro left. Good transition into the modern-day environmentalist, but I want to stick just on the energy side of the modern-day env environmentalist. Um, for about five years, we've been tracking the rise of environmentalism, which we now, this last year, we've officially called the cult of environmentalism. Uh, again, by its actual literal definition, if you're looking the dictionary, Webster's dif Dictionary, we feel very confident that the word, word cult can be used here, especially by the amount of blind faith without facts that they move forward with. And again, this is a non-political program here, so we, we've for us to do this, this is a big, you know, big move. And um, tracking it, our basic thesis is is that. Today's environmentalist has become a texting, trolling, curing, drinking carbon waste as opposed to the energy industry, which is now the leader in the environmental movement to save the planet. And you kind of brought up some of the reasons before by the investments that are being put in. And that's been our argument, just the sheer innovation that the energy industry has brought to the environment and the reclamation programs they've brought to the environment are are getting to the point to where you can say they're they're leaving the you know they're leaving the campsite better than when they left it, Mr. Boy Scout. Whereas today's environmentalist spends more time trying to do some texting and trolling, which cell phones are honestly the number one polluter on the planet. They're a three-headed polluter. You've got the mining of the rare earth minerals, and then you've got the construction, the manufacturing, the distribution, and then you've got the data centers. So you've you know you you your modern day environmentalist from our perspective is actually causing more harm to the planet than they are good. Um, do you have any comments on our kind of our radical thought process to you know how we got there? Well, I think there's one thing I would add 
Huh. And uh, it's, it, not, it's, it's not it's not radical that, enough. Get there. Let's get there. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's just an element um, about the methodology. And and you mentioned uh, kind of a fact free the, the contemporary environmental movement um, operates irrespective of fact. And um, I, I don't. I mean, we got to be careful with that. Um, they choose their own facts. And science is a process. And the root of science, uh, which underpins so many of these policy discussions, because we're trying to move forward in technical areas, whether they be uh, geology or climate or water or air quality, um, science is a process that relies upon uh, adversarial um, review. You know, you put out a theory, you collect data, you see if it hold, the theory holds up based on the actual, empirical, the way things are in the world data. And then you invite others to test your theory and collect their own data or to, to uh, review what you've done. The current climate for scientific analysis in so many of these environmental policies is that discussion is off the table. You may only use our agreed-upon conventional wisdom. The Earth is ending in 12 years. Everything is getting hotter at record rates. Uh, there has never been cooling. There's only heating. Well, there's only, there's only cooling. There's never been heating. You know, it's a little bit like George Orwell. Uh, we've always been at war with uh, the, the one country, not the other, until it changes. And there is a, a micro-industry now, uh, as you've put your finger on, of people who are making a living off of propagating these uh, beliefs. Not by advancing knowledge, not by educating people, not by developing new or innovative or clever ways of solving a problem, but just by propagating a belief set, a belief set that shall not be challenged. And that feature of the debate is very important. It's also very scary, you know, because it is infiltrated um, elite academic institutions, it's infiltrated elite uh, media institutions, it is pervasive. Um, there's something very powerful on our side, however, and that is uh, much of it is a fiction, and uh, things that aren't true don't hold up over time. So being skeptical of these things and uh, actually relying on the scientific process uh, is always going to work in our favor. Kent Lastman, the CEO of the Competitive Enterprise Institute, with us talking about the new study about the Green New Deal, how much it's going to cost the average household. Um, kind of in conclusion here, uh, what do you want people to take away from this study? What's the, you know, kind of the, the bullet points or the, the walk-away statements that you want people to remember? Well, if there's, if there's one thing that I'd have people uh, remember and discuss with their neighbors is 
it is clear to me from looking at the actual evidence and doing the analysis of this proposal that the people that are advocating, the people that promote the Green New Deal are not putting out serious proposals and perhaps are not even serious about the environment. These are not, uh, these are not the words and ideas of people that are trying to move us forward.